Welcome to a very special episode of the Comic Book Strategic Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Nico, and I am joined today uh, by Comic Book Royalty. Uh, Jimmy, would you introduce yourself to our live audience? Sure. Hey, guys. I'm Jimmy Palmiotti. I am the uh, writer, uh, co-writer, a uh, whole bunch of comics, Harley Quinn, uh, Jonah Hex, uh, event comics with Painkiller Jane and Ash, uh, Marvel Knights, did with Joe Quesada, Daredevil, Punisher. Um, I've done a lot of books. I think I've inked over a thousand, at least a thousand books and written that many and worked in TV and film. And I continue to uh, work every day, uh, working on Aldi Quinn and the Birds of Prey right now, which comes out in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, so that's what I do. Mostly I'm writing. It's uh, it's a joy to be here with you. I'm, I really want to thank you, uh, not just on behalf of the Tales from the Flipside podcast, uh, but on behalf of comic book speculation and investment. Uh, it means the world to us uh, for you to join us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I... Um, had a, a little bit of time to chat with you before we went live and you were telling me about uh, how you fell in love with comics. Um, do you think you could uh, share that story with sure. uh, our audience? Sure. So I, I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, if you can't tell from the accent. Um, and uh, I had two older brothers and one younger brother, Pete, my brother Pete's in the business. So he does comics as well. Um, and we grew up, you know, it, it was the late 60s, early 70s, and there was no cable TV. There was no, there was 13 channels on your TV. There was no computers. There was no iPhones. And it was basically uh, uh, comic books and movies and that's, and TV, you know, whatever was on TV. Um, but I grew up with a bunch of friends that loved comic books and we would share them. We would put our initials on the back cover and we would swap comics and try to read as many as we could. Um, also my uncle had a barber shop with stacks of comics, so I'd go in and trade them out and, uh, and how I used to collect comics was I, uh, made a deal with the guy at the Salvation Army near my house that, uh, he would sell me like a box, a giant box of comics for like $5. Like there'd be like hundreds of comics in it, uh, for five bucks. And he used to have them wrapped up in rope. And then I finally convinced them that I'll buy them if you don't put the rope around it. I want them in decent condition. So I used to buy these giant, I mean, yeah, we were talking about maybe a couple hundred books uh, for five bucks, which comes out to like a nickel a book back then or some crazy thing. But uh, so when I was a kid, it wasn't, they weren't really collecting comics. Like there were places that had back issues. There was one bookstore in Brooklyn called uh, My Friend's Bookstore, which had back issues. Um, but people weren't like collecting like they are now. And, and, uh, you know, um, so I grew up just loving comics and reading them and uh, being one of the artists in the family. I, I would copy the covers. I would draw them. I would write my own stories. And uh, pretty much I've done that my whole life. I went to the High School of Art and Design in New York and took illustration and comic illustration there. And uh, uh, other than I took a 10 year gap after college and did mostly advertising because comic books don't really pay that well. And then uh, after my, I think it was like eighth or eighth year in advertising, I uh, started getting back into comics again and started uh, doing background work for uh, a buddy of mine, Mark Texera, who was doing Ghostwriter and Punisher. Wow. I knew, I knew Mark from high school, so he needed help on the books. And I would go up to the Marvel office every day and work with him at night, trying to hit deadlines. And 
give new samples, my samples to uh, editors every every week. And eventually I started getting work and I've been working ever since. There you go. Oh, it's fascinating. I, I didn't realize uh, that you had that relationship with uh, Mark Texera. I, he's uh, another one of the creators that, that kind of captured me as a child uh, oh. with the work that he was doing on Ghost Rider. Yeah, he's he's, a, um, he's he's like a powerhouse. Mark's like stuff kind of jumps at you and, you know, his, his stuff is, the, the Punisher book and the Ghost Rider book he was doing at the time were amazing and nobody else was drawing two books a month. Um, and that's why he had me helping him, obviously, because the deadlines were insane. But uh, he's a force of nature. I still talk to him. We, you know, we've been friends since high school. So, uh, you know, that's a that's a he's just a great guy. I love him. That's fascinating. How have uh, comics changed from uh, then to now? They're a lot more expensive. Um, people treat them differently you know now they're bagged and boarded and all that stuff back then we used to just wrap them in plastic and throw them on the shelf or put them on bookshelves um you know the books themselves uh what i miss is the done in one stories right so when i was younger there wasn't like eight part stories or there weren't comics that had like um i don't know 10 pages with like three lines of dialogue you read a comic in two minutes now you can um back then uh, the comics had a lot of stories, so you got a, you got a, a book, you you know, twenty two pages full of story. You you spent a while on it. Um, things weren't things weren't like eight part stories or done so it could fit into a trade book later on. They were done in ones, and uh, so that's a little bit what's different. And um, you know, they weren't they they were very diverse back then. Meaning, you know, we had horror, we had sci fi, we had you know, adult comics. There was a lot of different things. And when, and when I was growing up, it was like you had guys like Bernie Wrightson, Mike Kaluta, uh, Jim Stranko, and uh, you had indie guys, and you had guys like Joe Kane, and you had the, you know, uh, Robert Crumb doing uh, the, uh, the the underground comics. And I mean, I used to go to head shops and buy underground comics, you know, which were just basically sex and violence comics. And, um, there was I'm a, glad somebody knows how to tell the difference between the second and the 75th print because I sure as hell don't. I like need an encyclopedia every time I look at it. It drives me insane. Yeah, they've reprinted those books so many times. I mean, you know, you, the, the uh, Robert Crumb stuff and the uh, adult stuff, they've reprinted it a lot um, because people weren't interested in the collectability. They just wanted them. So it was collectors that went in and said, oh, you have to put third printing. You have to have a special cover or you have you know the, it's the collectors that went in and started dissecting like which book came out first and what kind of paper stock was on that um because back then it was just print as many as you can when you sell out print some more you know that's what the underground comics were they were constantly on a rack i mean they were in head shops when i was younger they were in head shops like any any kind of hippie thing they were uh you'd find some comics or sex shops if they were selling uh, if you had like a uh a video store or something they'd have like a whole you know a rack of adult comics and and um and when i was in high school uh, heavy metal started which was a big influence on me because it introduced me to the art of mobius and manara and druid and all these european artists that were completely different styles of art than what i was used to in regular mainstream comics which um so as i was getting older my the the i started discovering all this different material this other material in comics that I've been collecting ever since. So there's certain artists I'll just buy 
anything they do. Mobius, of course, he's no longer with us, but I used to buy everything he did. Um, and, you know, so I grew up probably a character and artwork lover. That Those have decided my uh, what I bought. And then the stories were after. Um, you know, if I love the art, I bought the book. The story sucked. At least I can look at the art. Um, since it is comic books. Um, and then with Heavy Metal, you know, it, it was an introduction of hundreds and hundreds of artists I never saw before, and uh, which for somebody that draws, it's very exciting. So it was a very exciting time. That's fascinating. Let me ask you, um, can we talk about your most recent uh, project? Sure. Pop it's, Kill? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, so Pop Kill is... Uh, it's on Kickstarter for, I think, two more days. So uh, if you're going to get it, got to run and get it now. Um, it, it's a book that, uh, it's actually a four-issue series that uh, Dave Johnson and I wrote. And Juan Santa Cruz uh, did the artwork on it. And um, it is it is a bizarro book. It's an adults-only book because there's nudity, there's violence, there's bad language, you know, foul language. I mean, it's not... The 16-year-old in you will love it. The 14-year-old in you will be crazy about it. But realistically, you know, it's made for adults. And it's it's about conjoined brothers who are separated and they hate each other. So they decide to create competing soda companies. And they just hate each other. And the basic story is about the people they hire to try to screw each other. At a, you know to try to ruin each other's business and it's so it's a little bit of spy versus spy mixed in with uh, a lot of violence and some sex and it's crazy and it's fun and Dave's cover right there just kind of captures the feel of the book you know it's got the pretty ladies it's got the spies it's got the violence and pop kill refers to obviously the soda companies uh so um yeah, yeah it looks awesome yeah it's it's a fun book I mean we we you know we have uh there's some the the uh, the digital level because we hit a bunch of stretch goals. Honestly, if you even back it for five dollars, you'll get not only this book, you'll get another book, Twilight Experiment, and you'll also oh. get a and you'll also get a graphic novel because we hit we hit the stretch goals. So um, so everybody everybody you know gets a piece of everything. So uh, even if you go in for five bucks, you're going to come out with three digital books. And then you we did, all, yeah, you did more for our listeners uh, in like five minutes than uh, I think we've done in five years. That's a big deal. Five bucks, you get three. You get a book and a graphic novel. Yeah, you get a graphic novel and two books. Wow. So you, get, you get Pop Kill number one. You get Twilight Experiment number one, and a mystery graphic novel. Which it means I'm saying it's mystery because I haven't decided which one it is yet. But it's like one of the ones I've done. Um, and then we have the actual paper edition, so you can get the actual comic. Uh, come signed by me for twenty dollars. It's the actual book, and then uh, and then there's other levels. If people want to check it out, it's like I said, it's two more days on Kickstarter, um, and I am sending it to the print on Monday. So uh, we're hoping we're hoping to not only get it into people's hands uh, as soon as we can, but if you back it, once Kickstarter processes the credit cards and stuff. We're going to send the books that day digitally. So everybody's going to get the books like right away. So this is not going to be a Kickstarter where people have to wait a long time. You're actually going to get your stuff right away. This is the point where I have to bite my tongue about the laundry list of people who make you wait a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm happy I, you're not one of those guys. I, I wish I, that, that Kickstarter had a rating for people. 
because I'd be very proud of my four, four star rating, you know, and then the people that don't deliver can get their one star or half star or, you know what I mean? Because I wish there was a rating because I this is my 13th Kickstarter and I've delivered every single book to every single person, even if it got lost, even if it got damaged, we replaced them. There is not a person that backed something I did that has an actual complaint because I I treat it like it's it, well I treat it like I should. It's the most the customers are the most important thing to me. So um, I make sure every single person is insanely satisfied with the Kickstarter each time, and it's probably why my stuff gets funded so quickly. You know, every time I do it, so it's 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 a it's a nice pat on the back for me, and it shows it shows that all the hard work pays off. You know, you get these are your customers, man. You can't screw them. You can't leave them waiting. And if you have a delay, and honestly, things happen, just communicate it to everybody. Just write them and say, "Hey, look, you know, this happened to me, and it's going to be two weeks late, but we can't wait." You know, people are very understanding if you explain yourself. If you leave them in the dark, yeah, you, you you're going to get really pissed off people. And I'm the same way because I back a ton of them, and man, some of them I've never got. You know, some of them, yeah. some of them, the communication's amazing. So. Uh, I like to set the standard of saying, you know, this is this is how it should be done, and uh, I like happy customers because I figure I'm going to eventually see everybody at con. So if I pissed anybody off, you know, they're going to come over and tell me, and I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I, you know, and if somebody's not happy with something, I'm the first guy to go. Go ahead, tell me what's wrong, and let's see how we can fix it. You know, that's that's the way. I am. It's funny because people will review my books in front of me at cons. They'll come over and they'll tell me, I read your book and. I had one guy, I didn't like it. And I'm like, okay. I like, you know, I'm like, thanks. Well, you can't like everything. I get it. And I said, okay. I appreciate you coming back. And I said, is there anything on the table you want? Maybe you want to take another book and try another book or something? Yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't take it too personal because, uh, you know, you're a you, kind soul. Yeah. It's just, you can't like everything. I watch the I watch a TV show. There's always going to be an episode I don't like. You know, it's okay. It doesn't mean well, I'm going to off. You know, so yeah. Well, so well, now two more days. Very awesome. Uh, we'll make sure that the information is on the Comic Book Invest website uh, and that we get the links out there. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, what was going on here. So, okay, this is from Harley Quinn's Zero. This is a panel from Harley Quinn's That's drawn by my uh, buddy Darwin Cook, who's no longer with us. Um, it doesn't look like me, but sure. And uh, it looks more like Amanda than I do. But um, so in Harley Quinn's Zero, which was the first actual issue we Amanda and I did of Harley Quinn, um, we had the idea of putting 18 different artists on every page. So every page had a different artist. And the story jumped like crazy. It all continued, but it jumped like crazy. And this was one of the last pages by Darwin Cook. And I gave him a script, and he didn't follow the script at all. He just, <laughs> just decided to draw Amanda and I at our wedding, dealing with uh, Poison Ivy and, and uh, Harley. And it came out hysterical. And, of course, we had to um, work the dialogue, rework the dialogue to fit it. But we got the page, and we're like, all right, if Darwin wants to do that, you know, he could do whatever he wants. It looks great. And he did that. I think the funnier panel is the one where Amanda's punching, you know, the uh, <laughs> them. But but it's kind of hysterical. And that's how Darwin saw me, I guess. He saw me at, as like that guy. I look like a 
a little bit Stallone looking over there with the droopy eyeball eyelids and the uh I, I miss that guy. Um you got uh you guys yeah. look perfect. Tell me about Darwin Cook. So Dar Darwin was a guy I met years and years and years ago. We hit it off right away. We uh I, you know, I met him I met him in Chicago, I think the first time and then uh, we hung out in New York. We became really close friends. Uh uh, I moved down. I I, uh, I moved down to Florida, and he actually bought a house right near me in Florida, so he could hang out in the winter. Look, I should come I get on the side of this. There it is. Um, yeah, she. He started. He came down and lived near us. That was like the ultimate compliment. And we and we worked a lot together. He, whenever I needed a cover, he would be there to do a cover for my books. He he drew a bunch of Jonah Hex books for me. He did the GI Zombie covers. He uh, worked with Amanda on Silk Spectre. Um, He's a great friend. He, uh, he he smoked and drank a lot, and he smoked a lot. And, of course, he uh, eventually died of lung cancer. Uh, he was 52 years old, which uh, broke all of our hearts uh, to see him go through that. You know, you don't want to lose a friend that young. And uh, the industry lost a, a mega talent with him, you know. I mean, the, the guy was – everything he touched was great, but – we lost a good friend. He was just a great guy. Uh, I loved hanging out with him. You know, he lived life really hard. You know, he he was hard on himself. He was he was honest to a point. He would tell you exactly how he felt the minute he felt it. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, he was he was like uh, gasoline and fire mixed. He, you know, he was just. But he's one of those rare people. He's like he made an impression on people. You know, people met him and they were like, "Wow!" They either loved him or they were scared of him. Uh, <laughs> but the artwork, you know, everyone loved the art. There was something he had that he had that he would be. He's able to capture what we love about superheroes in his drawings. He captures the core, the the feeling that it's great to be this character, and uh, there's a certain joy and happy energy to his work, the superhero work that, um, to be honest, a lot of comic artists can't capture, you know? Uh, so he's, he's very missed. I mean, there's something in every room in my house that he put in the house. He either gave me or he would just come in and put it on a shelf. But after he passed away, I noticed one day when I walked from room to room, even in my bathroom, there's a picture of Jonah Hex in an outhouse. But every room, there's a piece of artwork or something he did, a table he bought for us or a glass, uh, you know, something. Um, I think he was sneaky that way. I think he planned that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about Jonah Hex. Um, it, can you talk about your experience writing the character? Um, I mean, he uh, is beloved uh, by longtime comic fans, but uh, I think his Westerns have fallen out of fad. Uh, so uh, has he, uh, what was the experience like uh, writing uh, the book and, uh, you know, All right. can you so, talk about that? So Jonah was a character that um, in the early 70s, I, I would had a lot of Jonah Hex comics. Now being a kid from Brooklyn, um, a Western is almost like sci-fi to me, right? Mm -hmm. because the idea of a big open place with nobody on it that just doesn't exist in New York, you know. Um, so that was just as much fantasy as as fantasy stuff was for me, a western. So 
And I loved Westerns growing up on, you know, TV and the movies. I mean, TV had tons of Westerns on. Um, but I love the character. I, I just, I loved how he was so ugly and he was so underestimated and people just treated him like crap. And he always came back and brought hell with him, you know, and he, he was such a fun character. And he was, um, and, and for years, I just bought every book. I had every, I still have every Jonah Hex comic ever made. Um, and, wow. I used, and I used to meet Tony DeZugna at the shows and he was one of the original creators and artists and, um, and That's then awesome. when I started working at DC Comics. Um, I pitched Jonah Hex just with Justin Gray, who was my writing partner at the time. And we and I and we gave uh, Dan DiDio was in. We gave him a pitch, and Dan said, "We're not really touching Jonah Hex right now." Uh, Brian Azzarello said he might want to do it, so we're holding it for him. And you know, Brian was one of their bigger stars. I was just I wasn't. Um, and then one day Dan called me, Dan Dio called me and said, look, Brian Azrael is going to do his own Western called Loveless, you know? Um, do you have a pitch for Jonah Hex? And I said, yeah, it's actually, I just sent it. It's in your email. Um, and from then on, and then, you know, when we talked about it, I, we told them, look, we want to do done in one stories. Meaning I said for two reasons, one, I like a story to end by the end of the issue and two, if we do done in ones, I can actually write ahead. I can actually, me and Justin can write like six issues ahead and have six different art teams on it. So we'll never be late with the book. And to that point, the book came out 70, 70 months, right? Because it was 70 issues, the first series. Only the last issue was late because they hired somebody I didn't approve to do the book. And it was late, but 69 issues came out in a row the first week of every month, the 69, wow. for 69 months in a row. And I had some of the best people in the world working on the book and uh, very proud of it, you know, and, and it, when a new 52 started, they gave us all-star Weston and that lasted another, I don't know, 18 or 20. I, I, don't, I can't remember how many issues that lasted, but I did have Darwin do the 50th issue. Dar Darwin Cook did the 50th issue with Jonah Hex. He and he and he did I think twenty eight and then he did the last issue Jonah Hex too that was one of his last books before he passed he worked on uh, the last issue of Jonah um, and it's just it's just a run look it it you know what it is what westerns are it's like they come back every couple of years they always come back you know all of a sudden the Cohen brothers do True Grit and then there's like ten more westerns come out you know somebody takes it and then turns it on its head or does something creative. And then they come out again. So Jonah will pop up again, you know. Um, oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it probably won't be me doing it, but it'll, hopefully it'll be somebody that loves the character as much as I do. Um, you know, it was one of those books that it never sold well, but DC kept it coming out because they said it was a quality book. So they kept it coming out. And uh, Dan Dio, I thank Dan Dio for that because – no matter what the numbers were, he said, ah, let's just keep doing it. Let's just keep doing it. You know, he just, he liked the book. And uh, that's uh, half the battle. I have that cover is in my on my living room wall. Um, wow. What the original from Frank Quietly. And uh, I proudly hang that in my living room, which looks a little Western-ish, my living room. So Very cool. Yeah. You watching uh, Westworld? I, I watched the uh, season and a half, so I I, uh, I, I uh, I'm gonna catch up because I'm gonna start the uh, HBO Plus soon. 
you know, I canceled my old HBO after Game of Thrones, and uh, but HBO Plus starts in a couple of weeks, so I'll be able to catch up. But I, I, I did like Westworld. I mean, it's a different concept, but look, I like any Western. I got to be honest with you. There's something really relaxing about watching Westerns. They're very, they're very basic. Today, I just watched The Quick and the Dead, the nice. Sam Raimi one with Sharon Stone and uh, Gene Hackman, and that's that's such a fun movie. So very cool, very cool. Um, I'd be remiss again uh, if I didn't ask you it is uh, to talk a, a little bit about your run on on Marvel Knights. Um, is it your proudest achievement? Uh, no, but I'm very proud of it. Um, I mean, yeah. legitimately, it, it's been the foundation for. Why I, I believe names all of. All of the Hollywood movies, I think it well, changed the tone of comics. Yeah, so with, with, with Marvel Knights, um, I don't know why it says Joe's name so big, by Joe Cicada, but I don't get that. But, you know, that's he's the editor-in-chief or he's the publisher, so that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so Marvel Knights was basically, uh, uh, Marvel was in Chapter 11, they were canceling a bunch of books. They were canceling Daredevil and uh, Punisher at the time. They were going to cancel a bunch of books. And Joe Calamari, who was the president of, uh, of uh, Marvel at the time, wanted to try something new. And they asked Joe and I to come in. And they said, you know, if we give you guys some money, what, would, what could you do? And, I, and we came up with the Marvel Knights name and said, look, just here's the four books we want. Leave us alone. Let us do these four books, let us do computer coloring because they were still using some old coloring process uh, and our stuff was computer colored. And, and I said, let us, let us just get the right teams on the right books. And uh, Joe and I, it was a passion project, but it was basically our motivation was let's show Marvel comics that we can make better comics than they make. <laughs> it was like an ego thing. You know, it was like our challenge. We're going to, we're going to make books better than they make them. You guys got the job done. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, that's potluck. You know, you can either fail at it or do well. We actually did well. And uh, Kevin Smith, you know, the director and writer, he owed us some favors because we helped him on some of his movies. So we got him to do our Daredevil. And, um, yeah, and then, we, you know, we, we just had a blast. I mean, between Black Panther and Humans, and, and uh, it, it just was a great time. Uh, it was also the time before all the superhero movies, right? Because it was right before... And what we did was with Marvel Knights, we told Marvel, we're going to go out and we're going to put our face on the books. We're going to be the Marvel Knights guys, me and Joe. So we did like morning TV shows and we did like interviews. We did MTV and we went out and we were, and Kevin Smith went out as well. And we said, you know what? Our plan was, hey, comic books are cool. You should love comics. If you don't read comics, you should read comics now. Read our Marvel Knights line to get started. And, um, it actually worked. People bought every book we did. They bought them like every month. They bought all four books, you know. Um, I know I sure did. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and then um, and then, you know, and then as we went, um, we started getting approached by a lot of the TV and movie people, which we shuffled off to Avi and all those guys because that really wasn't our job. You know, um, I remember because I'll tell you a funny story. I just I was I had a dinner in uh, overseas in Europe, I was in Monte Carlo and I had a dinner as part of this thing. 
and I sat with Wesley Snipes at the table. And I met him before because I met him at a party uh, when I was doing Marvel Nights. Uh, John Singleton invited Amanda and I to one of his premieres. And uh, and Wesley Snipes came up to me and he says, I want to be Black Panther. Make that happen for me. You know, and all I did is I just said, well, here's the number for the guys that handle that. And we had a lot of that happening. You know, like people wanted to all of a sudden they were like, let's make comic book movies. And um, so I'll say that everything. Yeah. So Marvel Knights kind of changed the way people looked at the Marvel heroes. Plus, um, you know, it was it was a bunch of books done by New Yorkers. So they had a really New York feel to them, like Stan and Jack had way back when. And they felt very urban and very modern in a weird way. I mean. This cover is so wonderfully ridiculous. Look at the wires on Daredevil's thing. I mean, Spider-Man would just trip the minute he moved. It's ridiculous, but there's this wonderfulness to it, you know, this wild uh, movement to it that uh, we were just trying to do something different. We were trying to trying to convince people the comics were cool. And, uh, yeah, after a couple of years of that, we really, we really succeeded. So I'm very proud of it. Yeah. I I uh, have just been uh, talking nonstop about your work for uh, the big two. Do you think uh, you could talk a, a little bit about uh, Painkill J? Your yeah. seminal work. Yeah. So yeah. so right before Marvel Nights, Joe and I stepped out and we did our own books. And Painkiller Jane and Ash were the two main books. We did like a thing called Twenty Two Brides, Kid Death and Fluffy. We did a whole bunch of other titles, but Ash and Painkiller Jane were our babies. And um, yeah. We took, our money, we took our money we made from Marvel, doing Marvel comics and, and DC comics, and we just did our own comics and published it. And, and we got, again, we got lucky. We found an audience. Um, Ash was a fireman superhero, and Jane was an indestructible cop. And um, we we tried to, we were trying to do something a little different than everybody else was, you know, with these two books. They definitely, Jane had a very adult slant to it. I mean, Jane was a bisexual character and that was what, 94, you know? And, uh, so her sexuality was part of who she was. And, um, and with Ash, there was never a fireman superhero, which we didn't get. Like we came up with it and we we're like, wait, there has to be other fireman superheroes. And there weren't any. And we're like, Oh my God, we actually hit on something that makes sense. And for those who weren't around, Ash was the commercial success, right? Of the two initially. I mean, out the gate. They, they both did really well. They both, Jane, Jane had an, an audience and, and asked, like, people who bought Ash bought Jane. You know, it, it was sort of like what we learned in Marvel Knights. If you create a line, they want to buy the line. You know, yes, yeah. we're not putting 400 books out. We were only putting out three books. So people bought the line. But Ash was the big one. Um, you know, Wizard Magazine had it on its cover. Um, collectors were buying special editions of Ash. We had, like, Foil editions. We had all that crazy 90s crap on it that the collectors have. We even had a cover that had sketches on it, limited sketch covers. And I don't even have any of them. I see people, I sign them at conventions and I'm like, oh, I oh uh, you know. Um, but it, it really caught on so much that we actually, um, we got a call from uh, DreamWorks. It was uh, uh, David Geffen, Spielberg, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And they flew us out to LA and they made us a deal, uh, made us an offer we couldn't refuse on Ash. And then years later, uh, Sci Fi Channel approached us for Painkiller Jane. And we did a two hour movie. And then 
that did well. And then we did this series with Kristana. Um, that was a 22 one hour episode series. Again, uh, they didn't really follow the book. They felt they followed the idea of the character, but they kind of created their own thing. Um, but but it was fun. I got to write an episode. I got to like uh, co-direct, and I got to uh, uh, you know work on scripts with them. And it was like going to it was like going to film school while they were actually filming for me. Oh. Um, I did some camera two work on it, which is everything that the main camera isn't shooting. So it's like. Uh, you know, if there's a picture, like if Jane is running and then you see a close-up of her loading her gun and then hitting the guy in the head, well, I shot the loading the gun part and the hitting the head, but the running, awesome. you know what I mean? So camera two did all the weird things of the guy pressing the thing, there, the bomb goes off, that's camera, you know, that I, they gave me all the goofy jobs, but I also uh, wrote a script. I worked on all the scripts uh, as a consultant, but uh, I wrote the 13th episode called The League, which was about like other people with superpowers. And um, it was a good experience. I became friends with Kristana and a whole bunch of people on there. I'm still friends with a bunch of people from the show, which is kind of fun. Um, you know, it did okay on Sci-Fi. Um, Sci-Fi wasn't a big channel back then. Yeah, this is years ago. This is um, 2004, 2005, I think. Um, but uh, it was a great experience for me. And I've been screenwriting ever since. So I, I've been... So I do other work, you know, besides comics. I have, to, I have to pay the bills. Comic books do not really make you a lot of money. So you have to kind of always do other things, sadly. For a long time, uh, this looked like it was a sure thing. It was. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So we, for two years, uh, we had a screenplay written and then reworked. And then Jessica wanted it reworked again. And then eventually I went in and reworked it. And after two years, it fell apart. It just, they we actually got the screenplay. It's, the screenplay is terrific, but she moved on. Well, she took on some other stuff. And, um, and Jane is about a rookie cop. And uh, so it's probably, um, you know, rookie cops in their 20s. Yeah, she'd have to, she who's the guy from um his name escapes me. He was uh uh he's got a, a show called The Rookie, but he's like my age. Uh right. I mean, yeah, because when you're going to police force, you're younger. Yeah, um, he's not. That's it's kind of like the joke of oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well yeah, I, you know what I mean? Like yeah, she'd I, be I, more like his character, not I like Jane. I think it was a very multi-layered thing because she had to move on and these actresses and actors, they have like five different movies lined up at all times. So when one isn't exactly where it should be, they move on to the next one. Um, that said, you know, we're, we're out, we're actually out there uh, trying to cast the main role right now. So yeah, we'll see. I, I heard it here first. I don't hold my breath because uh, Hollywood takes its sweet ass time. I love comic books because I can actually work on one and it comes out in a couple of months. Movies take years and years and years, and it's exhausting. And they don't pay you for the years and years and years. You know, I've done more work on that Painkiller Jane screenplay and putting it together than anything I've ever done. And I and I haven't made a dime on it. So, you know, I made money on the old show, but I, I didn't make like this. I've been working for years on these screenplays, and. <sighs> That says a lot. Uh, we've like done a, a hundred issues, a hundred issues plus. Of Harley, I think uh, what of Harley? I think more than that. 
<laughs> no, definitely more than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I stopped counting at 100. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's your character these days. Yeah. Well, you know, we we so we left the book for a couple of years, right? We 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 did we did uh, we were doing two a month and a special. And to be honest, Amanda and I we, we needed a break, you know. And we went we went on trips and we took a break. And they, you know, the character Sam Humphreys and Frank Thierry and had a run of people, and I think they're canceling the new series, and they have another team coming on soon, or you know, at least that's what I saw. That's what I saw. I saw. I just read that they're canceling, or the seventy-five is the last issue. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought I read that somewhere. I'm I'm out of that loop. The loop I'm in is the Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey book I'm doing. But this series was one of the things I'm most proud of in comics because. We got the book. When we got the book, it was sort of like, uh, here, take Harley Quinn, do whatever you want. Nobody cares. Wow. And, um, yeah, they were just like, yeah, it probably won't last long, so have some fun with it. And then Amanda redesigned it, and we put her in a roller derby, and we made her give the finger to the Joker and moved out of Gotham and, you know, create her own supporting cast, which you see there, the Green Band of characters. Uh, that's her supporting cast. And then we amped up the uh, Ivy relationship with Harley. And so we did a lot and uh, in, a, in a matter of four or five years. And we did so much that it, it really, I mean, by the second year in, we knew like, oh my God, we're, we're like, this is a monster. Like when we saw the Halloween costume, number one Halloween costume in the United States was Harley Quinn. We were like, okay, this is a monster, you know? We did an entertainment weekly thing with Harley. I mean, we were, but we were working so hard on this book because we were, it was like Amanda and I killed ourselves on this. This character, we gave it our everything. We, it had our sense of humor. Um, and I always tell people, and you know, they don't want to admit it so much, but she is the Bugs Bunny of the DC universe. If you look at her and read the book, it's Bugs Bunny. You know, we, we kind of, we're big Chuck Jones fans. Oh, wow. and, um, but no, we, we changed a lot. I mean, look, the Suicide Squad movie would not have happened if the if it didn't have the success of the Harley Quinn comic. Yeah. And of course, the Birds of Prey movie, of course. I mean, there's so much of our book in that movie and the animated series. I mean, it's, it keeps going on. Even though we're not involved, it has a big life of its own. And we're very proud of it because it's really nice that the comic community, when they do stuff based on our work, they always do a callback to what we did. You know, which is nice because sometimes a character moves on and everyone forgets who did what on it. But um, yeah, I've heard creators without mentioning their names who have had, uh, you know, their character who really they, I mean, without question, defined uh, in a print media. Right. They don't get, they don't get a courtesy phone call uh, <laughs> yeah. from the studio, and uh, you know, it's hard for them. A, a labor of love. All you really want is a thank you. Oh yeah, uh, maybe just an open ear. Pretend like you're listening, and and uh, I'm glad they did that for you. Thank no, they, they did. They gave us a thank you finally in the uh, Birds of Prey movie, and then they, you know we went out and uh, to the premiere at the end of January, and we met Margot, and we met the director, the writer. Wow. Um, we met. We met. Uh, we met everybody, and and um, I got to hang out with Rosie Perez, which is another Brooklynite. So. No way. We had a good talk there. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so, yeah, so very proud of Harley because I think the stuff we did will be around for a long time. 
proud of what Amanda did and, and Chad Harden on it and John Timms. I mean, we had the best two guys in comics with Chad and John because these guys were doing, we had to do two books a month and they were hustling. They were, they were getting it done. I don't know if you remember, it came out every other week. Oh. And, and then we would do an annual. We'd do like these specials, like San Diego Comic-Con special or Scratch and Sniff book or we or Valentine's Day book. We kept doing, I'm telling you, I never worked that hard in my life. And of course, I needed a break after, <laughs> afterwards, you know. Um, but that's, uh. that said, we had a beat. Amanda and I have a beat to the character. When we do it, I, I felt bad for anybody that had to do the character after us because we had a certain beat to it. And I knew whoever was going to handle it after us was going to get a little shit because people were so used to the way we were doing it. And, it, you know, and of all the things to write, humor is the hardest thing to write in a comic book. You can write horror. You can write violence. You can write superhero fights. But humor, man, if the humor is off, it falls flat and people don't want to read it. So humor is yeah. a very delicate thing. There's a reason why they don't make that many movies that are comedies anymore because they're very hard to write. You don't see movies. You don't see the Animal Houses. You don't see the the uh, Eddie Murphy movies that are super fun. You know, remember, there used to be a lot of comedies. Absolutely. And now there's none. Now there's next to none um, because comedy is really, really hard to write. Even on TV shows, when you have when you have a bunch of good writers like Big Bang Guys or Seinfeld or The Office or something, all of those people have jobs for the rest of their lives on other shows because they can do it. But man, when humor falls flat, it's bad, you know. And a lot of TV shows die because of humor. Um, so very proud of Harley though, and and we're happy the collectors are so happy with it. That obviously. We gave them a lot to buy, <laughs> you know. Collectors went. I mean, uh, we had so many different covers and so many gimmicks and weird things we did with those books. Um, and we'll be signing them till we're dead. Amanda and I know we'll be at a convention in our nineties with some young person helping us move our hand to sign the book, and we'll be signing Harley Quinn number ones and zeros forever. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those uh, early days of Valiant? Yeah, man, that's that's Ninjak. So we did two foil comics, right? We did I call them foil comics. Ninjak one and Exo Zero were our two foil comics. Exo uh, Zero sold over two million copies. Think about that. Over two million copies at four ninety five. Was it a three? How much is that cover price? I can't even read it. Good grief, I don't know. Let me see. Hang on. All right, three fifty. When the comics were, I guess a dollar ninety nine back then or whatever. Um, and so Ninjak, we did three issues in Ninjak. And uh, and we did the XO Zero book. Joe is not the fastest artist in the world. And they really wanted us to do it monthly, but we couldn't do it monthly. And the the amount of detail in those books are insane. I mean, we didn't skimp on any page. Every page took us days to do. Um, but it was an exciting time because people were going valiant crazy. And, you know, they were buying the book. Collectors were buying the books like crazy. And they, they dragged this in. They said, you know, we, we, we did EXO, and it was a monster. I was inking Solar at the time, so I was still doing Solar. And then they said, we got this character. Mark Moretti is the writer. He's like a ninja guy. It's really cool. Do you guys want to do it? And I think that's the first image Joe drew. Well, it's a wraparound. I have the original somewhere in, in my house, too. I have it. Um and it's big. It's like, you know, it's giant piece. Um, 
Yeah, and it was a it was a hit, man. We did three issues, and they it, it just sold like crazy. And then uh, this was also at the time we were just doing our own books too, right after it. So we had like a succession of different things going on. My career has always been like this weird roller coaster. Of every couple of years, I have another big book or another crazy series, or you know. Uh, the idea was the foil cover. That was uh, Steve Mazarski, uh, who was the owner of. Uh, Valiant, he's no longer with us, but he, he was also the manager of Aerosmith, by the way. You know, I he did not know that. Wow. Like a manager or lawyer kind of guy for Aerosmith. All I know is we got to go backstage or one of their concerts because of him. But it's um, awesome. Yeah, actually, he got me front row for Metallica too once, which was that was great. Um, I got there was a fight broke out and I got a cigarette through my jacket. It was fantastic. Anyway, um, they had the idea for the foil. Somebody pitched it to them, and, you know, we were trying to learn, like, what colors would work. John Sabalero was the colorist on that, and we were trying to see what would reflect. And this is a Ninjak Gold. You see the lettering is gold, so I think that was, like, a separate edition. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a beautiful pro – I mean, the books look beautiful. You, you look at them now, they look just as good as when they came out. Yeah. There is no color fading. There is no nothing, but – I think it's very expensive to do now. Um, and you got to remember the white on the cover. You see the background white, where his silhouette is on the bottom. Um, the white is actually the thickest ink on the book because it has to not be, it can't be the foiled color. It has to be white paint. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting book, but it's a beautiful cover. I mean, Joe kicked ass on it. And you got yeah. a signed copy right there. I uh, I just am fascinated by uh, comic history, and uh, you've been right there uh, at these critical moments. Uh, it's so nice to hear you talk about them. Uh, I know you're a collector as well. You shared that with me. Well, I have the big black monolith from 2001 comes and shows up in the middle of my living room every time I'm going to do the next project that's going to take me further. <laughs> I'm kidding. You have to know 2001 to get that one. That's a good one. That's a good reference. I, I do. I, co I collect. I collect comics. I have. Um, I I CGC them, which some people get mad at me, but I read them a million times, and I don't want them falling apart anymore. So I figure I put them in a nice plastic coffin. I, I, I the CGC guys and the CBCS, and they're all great dudes, and it serves a purpose too, right? When you when you're buying on eBay, you know what you're getting. Um, but no, I, I have comics. I, I have them everywhere in my house. Let me. I got some behind me. I was uh, hoping you were going to say that. This is not planned. These are always behind me. Okay, there's a, there's a couple of boxes that I constantly have on rotation here. Um, okay, so is a just grabbing random stuff. Uh, okay, all right. So this is stuff I grew up with, you know. So. Uh, I'm gonna try to get the glare out. Like these are old. These are these are 60s, like 61, 59, 60, 61 adventure comics. Ten centers can't beat them. No, can't. Still ten cents. Um, Superman and Lex Luthor going at it on a red sun. That boxing match. And some Legion of Superheroes by That's Neil beautiful. Adams. Neil Adams cover. Uh, shooting uh, Superboy into space because he's dead. Um, by the way, and these are all. I have them all in like insanely beautiful condition these are you know i, I take care of my books it's some old luther and clock Kent cellmates which is kind of fun um there's always a gorilla cover there's always a gorilla 
Let me see what else I got. There's a lot of Superman, Supergirl, and Super Pets. Uh, let me see if I got any variety here. Yeah, some old Wonder Woman. Um, it's like 1965, 64, 65. Let me see if I got anything interesting uh, in here. So this looks like a DC box. Oh, no, here we go. Here's a couple of... Because you got to have some Captain America. Oh, wow. That's a one. To, and that's a, it's like a John Romita cover. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, I mean, this is just, this is classic stuff. Oh. Um, I love the old books because now yeah, it's. I, I'm a golden age guy myself. I, 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 uh, I like silver, but don't get me wrong. These are silver and the, the Supermans were golden, you know? But the, 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 um, the uh, Captain America is considered silver, right? Because it's 16. from yeah, from Romita on, I think. Uh, yeah, and hang on, I get, let me just check my other box here. I don't know what's in. Um, oh, I know this is not interesting to people. I don't know. No, this is fascinating. It's like a window into uh, the mind of, of what a creator in the industry collects and preserves. Uh, I promise, so it's fascinating not just for me, but for everybody else. So these are the books like when they came out, I got, you know, so. And, it, and that, yeah, so that's when you were reading? Yeah, so 70s, you know. Uh, Started in the Bronze Age. Black Widow. Uh, let me see. They have some prices on them, but they're probably old prices. Namor, wait, let me just get that. There you go. Some old Namor with Captain Marvel in the background yelling at him. Super cool. Some Kirby, Kirby Thor. Uh. Yeah, Doc Strange, and this is Nick Fury, right? Yes, yeah, Nick Fury by Jim Stranko. I like the, I know all the artists, you know Don Heck, and you know these. Yeah, Samoyan Man can't go wrong. Up oh, here we go. Um, I have boxes of these, uh, and and what I do is, you know, because we've been in with this virus, right? We haven't been able to do much, so I've been rebagging them. And rewarding them, you know, curating your collection. Yeah, because I haven't touched a lot of them, and those I haven't done yet. Uh, those I have to do, but I uh, I haven't touched them for I think fourteen years. So wow, those boxes back there, I haven't looked at them in fourteen years. And I sent a bunch of books out to CGC, and I just got them back there. They're in the other room, but I got some old Fantastic Fours and stuff, um, and then some. Um, Wonder Woman from the 40s, like late 40s. That, oh. that, they're not in good shape. They're, they came back like 2.0, 3.0, but they're beautiful I, books. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'd, I'd love to see the census on those. I mean, are there any that are in good shape? Were there mile-high copies of those Wonder Woman? I don't yeah. know. Um, do, do you... Uh, uh, if you you know, if you want to wait, I, I can go get them, but like it's going to we'll be... We'll absolutely a, wait. I'll, yeah. enter, I'll entertain while you run. Okay, go for it. Okay. Yeah. So this was uh, the best surprise I've got so far. I'm sorry that you're stuck talking to me, but I promise the, the wait will be worth it. Uh, if you've just joined us, uh, we want to make sure that we follow up on the CBSI homepage and support uh, Jimmy in his Kickstarter. Um, this is the graphic for the book. Pop Kill is his new Kickstarter project, and uh, basically, uh, I don't want to spoil the plot for you. Uh, uh, I, I'm only as familiar as uh, what Jimmy's already shared with us, 
which is essentially um, that it is a uh, show uh, or a, a comic rather about um, two conjoined uh, twin brothers uh, who are now business rivals. Anyway, more information right. on CBSI. Uh, back to I'm the man himself. I'm pulling three out because I just pulled. I just got three because I'd have to start digging. So this is um, this is Sensation Comics from number fifty-six from nineteen forty-six. DC Comics. I'm gonna try to get it. So okay, there you go. Oh, uh, gorgeous. Okay, that's in. That's a four point five. It's in great shape. Yeah, it's in beautiful. I actually think they <laughs> rated they, it low. I was gonna say that presents really well for a four or five. Well, I don't know what uh, the gripe is, but uh, uh, it, it, it says uh, off white pages. That's about it. I don't know. Should have been higher. I have to pay off some people. I don't know. Makes uh, sense. Okay. Um, this is from nineteen forty-four. So we're at war. Um, this is Superman number twenty-seven. Uh, there you go. Let's let's try to. Get, it's it's hard to get it without the reflection. So, oh, it's gorgeous. And that's beat up a little bit. That's a three pointer. Yeah, but uh, again, it presents really well for the three O. Like there's yeah. spine damage, but it doesn't impact the color at all. The best thing on this is it says it feels like the cover is going to come off. Look at that. It says from the collection of Jimmy Palmiotti. So, yeah. It says it says, it says two center wraps detached. I don't know what that means. Maybe the your your, uh, your your two middle wraps. Yeah, have been, have pulled off the staples. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's from 1944. We're lucky it's not a bag of dust. Amen. Um, and then this is the last one. This is from 1945. It's Sensation Comics number 45. It's a 5.0. Um, let's go that way and let's go that way. Yeah, you can kind of wow, see. Wow, that's a great cover. Yeah, it's beautiful cover. He's, the horse is kicking what looks like a Mexican guy, which I don't know how uh, I don't know how politically correct that is, but the Mexican guy's getting a horse kick in the air. Oh no, she's pulling on. She's pulling him off the horse. I see. Okay, it's fun. It's fun. And uh, and then there's an ever ready battery ad in the back. That's awesome. Started. <laughs> Boy, the color strikes great on that book. Holy yeah, the, reds, the reds are insanely intense. And um yeah, man. I mean, this is like I so I had I had some of these, some I bought, some I had. Um, but I to be honest with you, like uh I wanted to put them in plastic because in in the CGC because they were getting a little ragged in the books in the bags I had, you know. Yeah, they just present so much better. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they just do. Uh, I, I know some of the guys uh, are, are going to jump on here in about five minutes, and and we hope that you'll stay, uh, you know, for a little bit and chat with them. That would be amazing. Uh, you're obviously not obligated, and we certainly appreciate you being here at all with us. Sure. Uh, but before they jump on, can we talk about the original art that you have over your right shoulder that you shared with me? Oh yeah. Uh, um, I, uh, I gotta, I'm going to take it out of the bag because there's a little reflection wow. issue. All my lights are above me. Um, so that's why the light's so weird in here. Um, okay. Let's get this out of here. Where do you get a load of this? 
Okay, so this is so this is from Legends of the Dark Knight, number issue one hundred and one, and it's drawn by it's painted by uh, Kevin Nolan. Uh, let's get it right here. There you go. Anybody that remembers that cover, that's the original painting. So that's a, uh, you know, kind of cool, huh? Takes my breath away. Yeah, it's a cool looking Batman. But he's metal. He's all metal. This would be like Scott Snyder's metal Batman. <laughs> way, <laughs> way before Scott did it. This is a very nuts and bolt Batman. That's pretty awesome. I have, I have. Um, I'm a big Kevin Nolan fan, and I do have art. You know, I collect art. Um, I have different different artists I like. Um, I used to have a bigger collection, and then I I wanted to buy a house, so we sold a lot. I sold a lot of pages. I sold all my. Um, my Dark Knight pages, my Watchmen pages, and oh my goodness! I had a Lobo cover that was beautiful by Bisley. Um, wow! I sold them all and bought a house. So hey, you know, makes sense. Yeah, so. I, uh, I I I get the privilege of talking to people who have been the uh, the uh, bearers of of those uh, kinds of uh, treasures for some periods of time. I, I had uh, Steve Bork on here. Uh, listening, yeah. listening to him talk about the books uh, that he's had in his possession uh, takes my breath away. And hearing you talk about that kind of original art, wow. Yeah, Steve's done a lot of books for me, you know, in, in CGCS, and he's he's a great guy. Uh, yeah, we'll have Matt Nelson uh, on the podcast in in June. Right. Um, you know, we're we're obviously uh, big fans of uh, third party grading, and for no other reason than they tell you that book's been restored, that book's been trimmed. We think right. this is a four. And, and um, I, I get that they they told me one of the books I had had some somebody touched up on it and everything, and I'm like, okay, you know, whatever, I don't care. It's not like I'm selling them, you know. So I get why people get crazy, but I'm like. The books from the 40s, if somebody went in with a little blue and put it on, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? Now, um, you uh, you live or you have an office in a comic book shop for some period of time? Yeah. No, I do. Uh, it's Today? Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, now it's, it's – I'm, wow. I'm not in it right now. I'm no, my, but that's cool. I'm in my house. My, my office is in uh, Emerald City Comics. It's a giant shop in Clearwater, Florida, and I live down in Florida. <laughs> And my office is in the back of the store. People come in once in a while, ask for me if I'm back there. I'll sign some comics for them. You know, I usually, I usually sign all my books for the store, and they, you know, for free. You know, they just people can come in and get them. Um, I've had a comic shop. I've, I've been there for a couple of years now, at least three or four years now. And you know, I get to watch them order, and I see what's selling and what's not selling. And I'm very. They have a lot of back issues. I mean, that that store has killer, killer back issues, you know? He has two walls. He has one big wall, and it's all Marvel, old Marvels, and they got one big wall, and it's all old DCs. And uh, he's constantly putting new books up. I think, like, I honestly think one-third of the business is is collector's uh, books on the, on the walls, you know? Um, sort of like Torpedo Comics and those guys, you know, they, they really take a lot of pride in the uh, in, in, in their, their, their books. And... Uh, it's a store that has so many comics. I got to be honest, if you're looking for back issues, he's got he's got three, four rows of just back issues, tons and tons of back issues. It, it's a comic. It's as big as a supermarket is what I'm saying. The store is giant and it's in a giant warehouse. That's why I have an office in the back because the thing, the place is so big. Um, 
And then they have a whole gamers section for people who play games. They have a gamer thing where people can sit and play. I don't know how much they're doing that now, but hey. Hey, Brian. <laughs> how you doing? Uh, big fan, Jimmy. Nice to uh, – I'll introduce myself real quick. I'm Brian, obviously. So uh, big fan. Uh, couldn't pass up the chance to jump on at this moment. So I'm just yeah, I'm just chilling listening. Uh, you got a Bigfoot shirt on, huh? I do. I do. This is uh, I'm a I'm a Bigfoot fan, and obviously I'm a uh, psychedelic fan at the same time. So uh, there you go. I, I saw that the Bigfoot. Look, he would be eating mushrooms. You know, I mean, makes total. I, I usually have a Bigfoot hat on, so it's very rare that I have a Yankees hat on. But Frank Thierry insists I have to wear this, so um, so I do it. Hey, for Frank. You, you, you got to do what you got to do. And Pete, I like your furniture behind you, man. Oh, thank you. I, I sit amongst my books. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I, I, I'm sure everybody feels safer that way. I, uh, I, do. <laughs> I can't uh, tell you how much we love hearing creators um, talk this way and show talk about their collections um, and and stuff like that. This has been an amazing show. I've been geeking out in the chat. Awesome. Yeah. And hey, Ben, what's going on, man? How are you? All right. So you're a deadhead, huh? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of my friends. Thank you, Jimmy. It, it's been a real honor and a treat. I promise uh, you are in good, good hands. All right. Sounds good. Take it easy, Nico. Just want yes, to say thank thanks you for coming much. on. Thanks for taking time out of your night and coming on with us. I played. My wife is probably wants to kill me, but just get over it. <laughs> That's all that goes on day, whatever, a quarantine, hey, uh, whatever the hell we're doing. So where are you guys from now? All different places? I'm in uh, Mass. I'm, Boston. I'm in Phoenix. Phoenix. Jersey. And, oh, okay. All right. So variety. And I'm in Florida. So we have all all the dangerous people. Yeah, I heard. Philly <laughs> spring training is down that way. That's it. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it, it's funny. It's funny because uh, you all have your masks when you go out to the supermarket. Everybody, yeah, yep, okay. Because uh, I have friends, of mine, I have friends of mine that work in the field, uh, medical field, and um, they have good talks with me about what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. So uh, I'm saying right on top of that stuff. Amen to that. There's, yeah. uh, we have a lot of people uh, who work in the industry that are definitely um, need to uh be heard so it's kind of nice to hear from people that uh n you know know the inside stuff because yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to know what to believe no and and i and we had you know my friend's whole family uh got it the kids oh. the parents they're they're on it they're on their way out they've had it for over a month now um the only residual because they're all young right so the parents are in their late 30s and the kids are in their, you know young they're young like eight 12 or something like that um yeah. But the kids have what they call COVID toe. Do you know oh. what that is? So oh. it looks like frostbite on the external parts of your body. Um, they have it on their, oh. on their feet. And, um, but everybody's doing better, but there's these little things that they have afterwards, even though it passed through the virus, uh, that they're still dealing with. So the virus left them, but they have, it has everything to do with blood and, and, um, it looks, it looks like, so they said, it, it, they call it COVID, so it looks like um, frostbite, but it's actually blood vessels bursting under the skin. So the kids, the kids got it, you know? And um, so I know a lot of people that have been through it. I know another friend of mine, he passed, he, he's, he's doing better. 
Um, because, uh, you know, I have, even though I'm in Florida, I have a lot of New York friends. So they're, they're, they're convinced if you go outside in New York, you're pretty much going to, if you touch something, it's there. And they're not so wrong right now. You know? We've been lucky out here in Phoenix, uh, in the Phoenix area, that it hasn't gotten yeah. as bad as we all thought. And uh, yeah. we're kind of crossing our fingers that, you know, with the summer heat, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's been over 100 for like, you know, a month now almost. So we're, yeah. we're kind of crossing our fingers. I mean, the, the, the trick is, the trick, the, the realist, I'll give you a couple of rules, okay? The trick is you don't eat indoors in public. Not for a while. Yeah. Okay, if they have a if they have a table outside and you're spaced apart, great. But if you go indoors, there's a great video um, using an ultraviolet light. I don't know if you guys saw it. And it shows a waiter and they just put something on it and it keeps everything in the room. Yeah. So the, they say just for now you can get takeout or you can eat outside. And like you said, with the sun and the air and everything. So what the problem is if somebody coughs in a restaurant, not only does it stay, it doesn't, it's light, right? It's so this, it stays in the air longer. And if there's ventilation, it pushes it around the air, right? So most places indoors have air conditioning. So if you <laughs> want to get out, right? So if you really want to get crazy, but the thing is, you know, you wash your hands, you take the things out of bags, you know, you do, you do what you have to do. But if you're in a group of people, wear them, everyone should wear the masks and, and just get over it. No big deal. Um, if, you, if you're with your whole family, you know, on your on the beach or you're somewhere away from everybody, it's fine, right? Because that's your unit. Um, but I think just for now, like it, you know, you don't want to get it because the people that I know have gotten it. It's not great, and, uh, and you know, it. Look, we know it's killing a ton of old people, but it's also if you smoke, it's twice as hard to get through. Yeah. If you're overweight it's harder to get through. If you have any form of diabetes, it's really tough to get through. And um, so there's these little things. So if there's little markers that, um, and, I, and I noticed because my friend Joe was telling me that when people come into hospital and they're older, they check off a checklist to see, and so they could figure out how to treat them and what their recovery rate will be and all that thing. So it's a very interesting, precise science that they're still learning every minute but I always say, you know, better to be smart, wear the mask yeah. in, around people. And then when you're home, yeah, you know, you clean up. It's common yeah. sense stuff. But because the government gives us mixed mixed messages, everybody's a little confused. And that's yep. right, because it's 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 you know, it's I'm loving I'm loving that we're kind of able to slow down a little bit and do stuff like this. And even yeah. though we're we're being quarantined, you know, through technology, we're able to kind of reach out and talk to people and feel human. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm just going to bring it back to something that you were talking about uh, just recently, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes back. And you were talking about your books and how books that you loved and that you read as a kid that you finally decided to grade them just because you were tired of them falling apart and they meant something to you. And I was actually just talking about grading with a friend the other night that's kind of like, ah, I want to get away from grading. I don't know. And I'm like, you know, the key with grading is what is important to you. And if it's something that you want to preserve, I say grade it, um, and it's interesting just to hear creators talk about this part of the the hobby. I, I do get pushback. Some people go, "Oh, I hate you know, I hate that they put it in a plant." And I, and I said, "Look, I said I, I got books that I've been reading forever. You know those books. You read them eighty five times. They're yeah. still in okay condition. 
honestly, half the time I don't care what number they come back with. That's that's another game, right? Like people have to have a nine point mm-hmm. otherwise they want to kill themselves. Um, the only the thing is, it is expensive to do it, right? Because it adds up. So, like like uh, Pete behind you, you got all those boxes. Honestly, if I said, you, you know. You can only have five books out of those graded. You'd be spending all day going through and looking at them and going, okay, you know. Um, but I'm very happy with what I send in. Yeah, and and it's a hobby, right? So this is a, also yeah. a hobby, right? Because um, yeah, I said, like, you spend sixty dollars a book I already have just right. to have it in a plastic case. I mean, I want it in the plastic case to keep it safe, but right. it's unnecessary. So I kind of no. save it for when. Yeah. No, I, I actually some of the sketch covers I put them in because I want them to stay. You can appreciate yeah. them. And I'm not going to read the inside of those books. Um, so the sketch covers are my favorite thing to, to put to slab. But um, I, I just gave them a Jarmita Jr. one that they're, they're going to get back to me. Um, but, you know, it, it's sort of like a collector's choice. And I know if you're buying comics off eBay, nothing's better than having it graded because you know what you're getting. Even if you want to break, bust the thing out of it, you know, um, because when you buy on eBay, you know how those books come in. Sometimes oh, yeah. you're like, what the hell? They didn't tell me this. They cut that stupid stamp out, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, is that is that something that you do a lot? Is buy buy books on eBay? So so what happened was when when this whole virus stuff, the COVID virus stuff started, comic stores were in bad shape. So I people were like I, I and I did an auction. I was part of that auction and I did some stuff. But I said, you know what? I'm going to help comic stores. I'm just going to spend some money and buy some back issues from stores. So any store that had an um, a, a online presence, I ordered a lot of books from. Very um, cool. I got, a, I got a load of books in the past month or two. And I figured, well, that money's going directly to the store. It's just getting rid of some stock. Um, yeah. You know, it's great to do the charity where you hand money to the stores, but it's also you want to support them in the other way. Look, my pull box is crazy in my store because I, I buy every, I buy one I buy a copy of every number one that comes out, right? Yeah. And it's a lot of books. It is yeah. a lot of books. A buddy of mine does that. I, them and I, them. I usually give them away in my mystery boxes when I do like Kickstarter. I usually give away like a stack of books that I, I was like, yeah, I don't like this, you know. Um, but I, I try everything and I'm always looking to see who's drawing what and what's good. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not always, you don't always get great stuff. Even with 100 books, you're going to have to find like two you like or three, you know. Hello, Mike. Mike, how you doing? Hey, good man, good. Mike, you got to tell the story about the guitar. Oh yeah, Did somebody had the dent. Oh my god, this guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this is a Steve Vai gem. It was my childhood dream when I was a kid, and uh, I had to I had to get my hands on one. I finally had the means. Uh, that's my wife peeking out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this, uh, this is this is my my '80s desire right here, and I had to, it had to happen. So nice. just one of those things. It's beautiful. You should be proud of it. Uh, so I finally have her. We're proud of our crap. I am very. Yeah, man. <laughs> I want to say yes. it's 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 really <laughs> nice to see someone react the way you did, Jimmy, when you talk about your your comics, your collection. Like when you were pulling out that golden age stuff, yeah. my jaw was hitting the floor, and yeah. it was nice oh. to see your. You just had the biggest <laughs> smile, like. Yeah, just fixated. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I um, it, honestly, if I could hang them on the walls, I would look at them all day. But I would probably be out on the street in hours. You know, um, <laughs> I, I have, a, I have, a, 
what I have on the walls upstairs, and I wish I'm on a big, big computer. Otherwise, if I had a portable, I'd walk it through my house. Um, I have a lot of comic art in the house. Obviously, my wife is Amanda Connor, right? So we both love comics, and um, she's not a collector like me, but she loves her comics and she loves her art. Um, so I am a collector through and through. I collect probably too many things. I told my wife, I said, I have too many books right now, like book books, not, not even just comics. I have, I have just, there's books everywhere on the floor here. And I, I, I don't want to get rid of them. It's really hard to let, let them go to decide which one should go, you know? Yeah. They're, it, they're very personal. And especially, uh, it's funny be, that you're talking about books because I, a buddy of mine just brought over a box of um, all the first uh, American editions of like the Harry Potter stuff. And right. he, yeah. he, he said, you wouldn't, I mean, this stuff is worth some money. And yeah. we've talked about it on the flip side before, uh, you know, talked about first edition books, like, um, you know, from stuff like uh, 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 um the Fight Club. I think John bought a Fight Club book, a first edition mm -hmm. of Fight Club. Right. And, right. I mean, like even even newer stuff is worth some some real money in those first first printings. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm gonna just grab a pile that's into like, all this nonsense. I'm, I'm gonna, love to see it. I'm just gonna grab a pile and tell you what kind of crazy books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the type of stuff. Brian, that that's love. exactly how I got into all this collecting. This collecting craziness all started with rare books for me way back when. First editions like Victorian authors and stuff. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm just grabbing what's on the floor, right? Right, right next to me. Hell yeah. <laughs> the, the best of punk magazine. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is like nice. everything to do with punk. That's rock. awesome. And I don't know if you guys know, but Deborah Harry and Chris Stein used to do a Fometti. No, I didn't. Yeah, they did. They did. So they did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, I remember seeing that. They did comic books with the Ramones, Joey Ramone, and Deborah Harry. Wait, I gotta find like a good page. See, um, and and I have one of the original magazines, and I actually, um, actually, this is the one I have, the original of, but it's beaten up, right? Punk oh magazine. shit! Oh, that's awesome. Okay, but um, uh, so, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Chris Starring, Chris Starring <laughs> from Blondie, would shoot the pictures. So that's him and Deborah Harry. And, you know, oh wow! Right, and um, and I and I and I actually on Twitter I started a conversation with him, and he said, "Oh, you got to pick up the best of punk magazine book." And I was so I went and bought it. Okay, and then I, well, now I got to go buy it. Uh, Maria M, you'll never even hear this, but it's a uh, uh, Gilbert Hernandez, one of the Hernandez brothers, which which I love because I'm a big yeah, um, I love, yeah. Fan. love that. And then this is a uh, oh, Moby. very cool, oh, yeah, yeah Moby. And it, this is just a stunning. Well, it's oh like, yeah. How, how, is this R rated or can we? No, you're good. You're good. It's yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. I, I I smoke pot sometimes, so you're good. <laughs> oh, no, I'm talking about this. Some of the stuff in here. Let me find a page that's not so raunchy. They're all raunchy. How about that? It's but, great. Uh, it's it's <laughs> art. It's all beautiful. Like amazing yeah. Mobius. Oh yeah, no, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's got to be Mobius. That's amazing stuff. Be, yeah, be big pages like that. But you run out of room, man. It's like I want, you know. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about that with um with the uh omnibuses and the absolute editions that. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, look at that thing. 
Harley has oh. three of them. There's yeah. Three of them. This is they're 800 pages each. It's every Harley story we ever did up until a year ago. And Jeez. and this is this tells me I need a, a vacation. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That tells you how much the they fans love that thing around like it's so nothing. Well strong. Yeah, well, and no, it, I, look, <laughs> I, I mean, Harley was one of those things that it was like lightning strike. You know, it, it uh, nobody saw it coming, and now it's so big, it's bigger than us, and it's got its own life now. So it's, uh, mm. it's got our own life. Uh, although I'm one of the people that loved the Birds of Prey movie. People had problems with it, and I, I sat there and I said. It's adult movie. It's R-rated. People are cursing. People are smacking each other around. I thought it was fun. Yeah. But a lot of people didn't even see it, so uh, it's kind of weird. Oh, it's weird how yeah. all the big movies nowadays, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people seeing them. There's, yeah. I don't think it's because of because of uh, like you know the Harley movie flopped. I just think there's a lot of movie, or I mean the Birds of Prey movie flopped. I think but it's it just didn't. it didn't flop exactly. It did exactly. over it did over two hundred million in box office. Yeah. Right. And it actually sold like a, a crazy amount of pay pay on demand. What is it? POD? But the perception is everything, right? I mean, it, it's so weird how people perceive something as a flop because it didn't do a billion dollars. But what does the money have to do with calling it a flop? I'm like, did the movie work or not? That's yeah. whether it's a flop or not. I, I'm not. It's not that's not coming out of my pocket. My ticket's still the same ten bucks. Yep. You know, well, to me, if the movie was good or not, that's you know, that's kind of what I mean. Like it, it feels like nowadays with the way that movies, um, you you say whether a movie is good or not is how much yeah. money it makes in the box office, or if somebody else says it's it's making money. But there's yeah. so many good movies out there these days that you know don't make the money that some no. of these old Star Wars movies before the internet made or. Oh man, how about this? Look at the top ten movies. They're like eight of them, money wise, money wise, not top ten. Oh, and, it's all recent. And eight of them are like crap, you know, or kids' movies that you're like, yeah, you you saw it once and you'll never see it again. The yep. movies that stick with you stick with you, you know. Like I, I, I was, I did a post today and I put, um, pick one of these movies because I have, I have a my 15 year old neighbor hasn't. He comes over every Tuesday. We social distance. And we have movie night, me and Amanda and, and, and Fisher. And uh, so last week it was The Edge with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Love that movie. The week before was The Poseidon Adventure. These are things he never saw, right? So he, he loved the, the Gene Hackman one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, this weekend is Galaxy Quest. You know? I love Galaxy Quest. It's classics. And then yeah. uh, next next week is Long Kiss Goodnight. It's Long Kiss Goodnight, Conan. Ooh. And then. Um, and oh. then and then that one with Gina Davis, where she's the spy, mom spy. What is that? The uh, long kiss goodnight. Yeah, long yeah, kiss, long kiss goodnight. goodnight. Yeah, Conan and and uh, so I have these lined up for him because he hasn't seen <laughs> any of them. It's know? weird. It's weird. It's weird when you're talking to the younger generation and you talk about a and you say a movie that like was so instrumental to you, and they go, "Yeah, I've never seen it." You're like. What? what? Oh, and I remember doing that what? as a kid to my parents. <laughs> He's like, "What is Conan? What is yeah. Conan?" And I'm like, "Okay, Conan's gonna be a good one. Oh. You're gonna like this one because it's got a little TNA and violent as well, um, and it's got the greatest soundtrack ever. You're gonna love it. And Arnold yeah. is unbelievable in it, you know. Um, 
But it's 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 funny because you know, like I said, these these movies stay with you, whether they're hits or not. You know, Long Kiss Goodnight was didn't do very well, and this it, even Conan to a point was not a huge hit. You know, but it'll be a movie I'll watch till I'm dead. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in my 90s and going, Conan, put it on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's great. I worry that, I mean, the comics are the same way. Brian, you were saying streaming, you know, streaming is, is where a lot of the money comes from now, too. And and we may find that the that floppies start to go by the wayside for people reading comics online. But that doesn't mean people still aren't enjoying the media. They're yeah. just consuming it in a different way. Yeah. Um, we're, we're it doesn't make it less successful. No, no. I mean, we're we're also, you know, we're tactile people. Comic people are tactile. They weren't. Yeah, need it in my hand. Also, you know, comic oh, books. Yeah. I mean, comic books are one, of the, one of the few mediums, like like a novel, where we can read at our own speed. You know, we control mm -hmm. the the speed that the information's brought out to us. Meaning, if we want to look at that page a little longer, we can look at the drawing. We can, go, you know, with TV and movies, you don't have that, right? It, the pace is predetermined, and you have to absorb. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there'll always be people that want comics. I just think that it's hard to get certain people into comics. I, I, and I, I got to be honest, like the, I looked, I was been watching that. You guys know what Quibi is? Yes. The you little know? 10 minute, short 10 minute. Yeah. Yes. It's not doing well at all. I mean, they launched it and it's not doing well at all. And they, they, they said, and it was Jeffrey Katzenberg's company. And he was talking about how it's, he's making it for phones. And I said, yeah, but people want to look at things on their TV too. And they yeah. wanted, and it was only for a phone or a small pad. And now they just made it so you can go up in size with it. Like they, they had to change it because people weren't downloading uh, the content, even though they they spent billions of dollars on this. Thing. Oh yeah, they have like uh, I saw I think like certain they're doing TV shows with with big names, uh, stars, all kinds of stuff. And I always I thought it was just because they figured, oh, 10 minutes, people have a shorter attention span, right. so this is going to work great. I didn't know that they were just queuing on the phone and stuff. Well, they, you know, they figure most people have phones, people travel, they can watch 10-minute things. But I also know we like to invest in things. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I've, been, I've been watching uh, – I'm on my fifth season of Justified. I never watched it before <laughs> because oh, – because I'm home, I'm like on my fifth season. I'm like watching it. Like I have to have more. I, have to, I need some more hillbillies. I need some more crazy hill, drug hillbillies. You know, get yeah. it. Yeah. Get it, too. Don't worry, it's coming. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I love I, that I, show. I, I love it too. I mean, everybody's great in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I've been watching that and Future Man. Have you guys been watching Future Man? I know of it. I haven't oh. seen it. Uh, I, Hulu, I think, or uh, I just things I don't have. It's, I on, just got, it's on Hulu. Yeah, yeah it's on Hulu. I, I don't have Hulu. That's why I haven't seen it yet. It's a it's a Seth Rogen stoner sci-fi show. That's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> Sex and violence, and 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 uh, it it's like it's like uh, Back to the Future, but with drugs and crazy and blood. Nice. Um, the way it should have been, man. That sounds perfect. It that sounds perfect. It is. <laughs> Ridiculous! It is ridiculous. I, I highly recommend Future Man. It's just—I'll give it I a try. I actually just—this is going to sound crazy. People hate me for this, but uh, I just started watching Breaking Bad. I never got into Breaking Bad, and I just started watching it. And 
I think that's another kind of one of the things that's amazing. And Jimmy, you're kind of keying on this also with talking about how, you know, the, the being quarantined has made us not only like watch some of these old movies, but go through our old collections and stuff. So I just started watching some of these things that every, I would put in the back of my head when people would say, you got to see this. I would now kind of on. key back into it. Yeah. So I mean, feel better, Brian. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank <laughs> okay. you. It's on my list of things to do. I have it all queued up, all season. But I have like things I'm. I my my wife loves comedies, right? So we've been watching Thirty Rock again because oh. it's just wonderful. Um, and you know, and, and and all the news is so depressing. It's kind of nice to watch something a little light. A yeah, little. yeah. It's really weird. But why is Two and a Half Men like? I, I see that and I have to watch it. I don't know. Why. <laughs> there's so many shows like that. And, and I think movies were like that. At a, I remember like there's certain movies that are so good that when we would be flipping through the channels, we would stop and watch a movie like halfway through that has commercials. Like if I ever saw Saw Shawshank Redemption on cable, I'm watching it. Yeah, I don't care if there's that, commercials right? and it's not. There's unless, no unless it's on like there's certain channels that have a commercial every three minutes and I can't oh, do it. I'm losing my mind. Sundance channel. I was just watching uh quick and the dead on it. And it like, when they start blowing up the buildings in the town, it went to commercial. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like that's a crime against humanity. Uh, I, 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 uh, but the half hour, like the sitcom, like, like 30 rock is a great thing to pop on while you're eating. Like you just sit there and laugh at how crazy Liz Lemon is and Baldwin's great in it, you know. Yeah. God Lemon. And uh yeah. So, <laughs> so there's like disposable, you know, there's this 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 TV that's like just disposable. Oh, Larry David is great to watch. Yeah. Just yeah. even if he makes you like want to go, ah, it's still funny as hell. Um, but it's definitely like I, I always used to call that like New York humor, even though it's in LA, because all the writers are from New York. It's like yeah, New York it's humor in LA. <laughs> I I uh, I actually was going to ask you that because you were talking about you know being you know you you how long were you in New York for? Forty five years. Okay, so that's got to be like when you when you lived there for that long in a place like New York, and especially when you were coming up in the comics industry, you were there. Yeah. I mean, there, there's got to be a pull to that place um, to to be there. I you know I, I I grew up there, so I didn't know any anywhere else to be honest with you. I mean I. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be 59 in August, right? So um, I'm here down in Florida like 14, almost 15 years. And uh, it, when you grow up in New York, you think everything is normal until you move away from New York and then you realize <laughs> how crazy. So I, 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 grew up, I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that was Italian, Irish, Jewish, black, Spanish. It was just all mixed up and a lot of great restaurants because everybody had their, <laughs> right? Um, we had, I had mafia guys lived on and around my block. Like there was one crime lord and another guy who was a, a button guy that lived three doors down from me. He was a, he was a guy that you would, he would break people's legs and mm -hmm. <laughs> while he would have like <laughs> an earth shattering injury, you know, and, um, he and, fell. Yeah, and when when I grew up, they they broke a, a counterfeiting ring on my block, and people were shot. And um, I, you know, so you grow up. <laughs> so I grew up in this. 
I, I was stabbed at a very young age. Uh, I went to, oh shit! Wait, you got to tell that story. I went to Catholic school, and uh, and I wore you know, a little shirt and tie. You know, like I, was I like, did too. I didn't get stabbed. I was, oh, I was just I just wore a bunch of guys, and somebody just stabbed me in the back of the leg, and I, you know, and I went. I ran home because I didn't know what to do. Um, I ran home and my mom's like, you're bleeding. Well, and I said, yeah, they stuck something in my leg, you know, and uh, I've been mugged though. I've been mugged. I've been robbed. And, um, you know, I went to high school in Manhattan. So I took a train for an hour and a half every morning to high school to go to Manhattan. And then I would stay in Manhattan after school and I'd go down to Times Square to the peep shows with my buddies. And we'd, go, you know, to, we'd watch three Bruce Lee movies for $1.99 and, you know, and we'd be there all night, and uh, it was crazy. So when I talk to people about my childhood, they're like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to sell fireworks. I also used to sell fireworks, and I was one of the first guys that sold illegal video games, like VHS and Betamax movies. And, uh, and, I had, and I had counterfeit $20 bills, too, at one point. I had a bunch of them. Um, so anyway, like you grow up in this thing and you like, like, well, of course the rest of the world's like this, right? I mean, it's all crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, and then you find out it's not. And, uh, you know, and, um, so I do have a good book in me. Amanda keeps trying to, I, I've been writing short stories of my childhood and one day to put them in a book with like single illustrations by friends, I guess, but. But I have to watch it because some of the people are still alive, right? So <laughs> well, actually, that's, that's funny that you're talking about. I was going to ask if you ever, if you ever thought about putting, you know, like real life stuff from your life into comic it, book form. It does go into. So I, when I first got, I, I, I wrote a, a year worth of Deadpool, way back when. Um, you know the issues with the Punisher, the Steve Dillon cover, with they're facing each other. Yeah, yeah. I wrote those. Right, those are those are my. I wrote those, and um, in one of the books, I have a, a a guy that feeds another guy to to in a basement in Brooklyn. Uh, a guy has an alligator in his basement, and he feeds a guy to the alligator. Right. <laughs> um, so let's just say I knew somebody that had a full-grown alligator in their basement, and they kept like around seven inches, eight inches of water in their basement. And fed this thing like chickens and live animals, and um, yeah, he had an alligator. It must have been I don't know eight nine feet long in his basement in Brooklyn. <laughs> I I also had, I also had another friend who had um, I don't want to say what his dad did, but um, he his he had in his basement he had file cabinets. You know those big old metal file cabinets. You pull the drawers out. Oh, I got one right behind me. All right. Filled with guns. <laughs> and and he had this one box, this metal box that had hundreds of bullets in it, it's maybe thousands of bullets. And we used to try to match the bullets to the guns so we can shoot them in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and and my brother wants to uh, uh see now you guys wonder why I'm crazy. <laughs> well this, 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 exactly this, why I'm crazy. The original title, I think, your story is going to be "Why Didn't I Die?" <laughs> probably be the title because, I mean, so well, I, you know, I'm in Florida and everyone's crazy around me. That's kind of fun, you know. <laughs> there are crazy it's people. Different here. crazy. 
Yeah, they're, they're lovely crazy. Like they, they're they're very. When you take New Yorkers out of New York, they're extremely social. They, they love that. Nothing more than to hang out, have a beer, and tell crazy stories. And um, and it's probably why I started writing is because my my dad, you know, had four brothers, and they would meet in the bowling alley every Sunday after church, and they would tell stories to each other. And I used to sit there as a kid just. Listen That's to the best. Sitting and like spectating while stories are being told. It's it, the right. best. And it, I it, love it. A milkshake and what we call the monkey's asshole, which was basically a chocolate donut, you know. And I'd have a milkshake and a, and a, and a monkey's <laughs> asshole. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to them tell stories, and uh, and they were great stories, you know, because all my my all my uncles were in World War Two, right? So they all had stories. Uh, my dad's stories about World War II basically were about great card games. Um, <laughs> they, um, they, they didn't like to talk to death and walk No, away. none of them. None well, of because them. They, we also, because I didn't know him, but my uncle Frankie died there, right? So they didn't, they never talked about Frankie unless it was like reminiscing about Frank. Um, but so many stories, so many stories. And so when you when you become a writer and you have to write two books a month, which is a lot of stuff you have yeah. to kind of, you you kind of pull from things. So Deadpool had stuff. Harley stuff has a ton of Brooklyn stuff in it. There's stuff. As a matter of fact, the Harley series, you can literally get a map of Brooklyn because everything in the book is exactly the neighborhoods and the oh. street. Not only that, when they go on highways, it's east to west and it's south to north. So um, that's great. Yeah, and it's funny because the, there's a there's a um, an actual Coney Island museum in Brooklyn, and I I put Mahali's house is the museum, and those guys there love the comic because they keep seeing little things I put in there. But again, <laughs> that's what that's what gives the book this extra um, world building. You know, like yeah. this world feels real because when you're down the beach, the aquarium's right there, the handball courts are right there. There's Brighton Beach with all the old Russian guys. There's this. So it feels like, so our first, you know, good, like 60 issues of Harley, we actually built the whole area. There's an issue where we we actually shoot bags of animal shit at the DC Comics building in Manhattan. <laughs> and we, and I, we got to win with it. It's, a, it's an issue where you see, I swear to God, the end of the deal and Jim Lee talking about the next new 52 and then the shit hits the windows. And, um, and uh, Amanda's figuring out how to air because she has a Harley has a catapult on the roof, so she figured out how far it's it is. <laughs> Trajectory of the poop. What's it? <laughs> what's 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 it? Do you remember the very first thing that you ever had published? Like like in your very first professional work? It was it was. Um, it didn't have my name on it. It was in Invaders number 41. I did backgrounds on it over Frank Robbins, and it was for under Chick Stone's name. Chick Stone was a Kirby inker back then. Um, I, it was 1978, maybe, or 79, probably 78. I was in high school. And like, how old have you been? I, I, yeah, I don't know. Wow. How old are you in 11th grade? I don't even remember. Um, 16, 17? Yeah, 16, 17. Um, yeah, I was... The teacher pulled me aside and said, there's a guy that needs help doing a comic. 
you're the only one in the class, I think, that can do it. And I went to Queens, and there's Chick Stone in his window smoking a cigarette, making a comic, and he gave me a page to do the backgrounds for in $5. And I, I inked it up. I brought it to him the next day. He hated it and fired me. Wow. <laughs> so I made five bucks. And, I, uh, and, and they still published it. And it, it's published. It's in the comic. It's in there. It made us 41. Um, you know, it was my first thing I ever did. And then there was... Um, I inked some Howard the Duck magazine over Gene Colan. Um, the first two or three issues, I worked with Dave Simons, but I didn't get credited. And then I, um, and then later on, like then I then I turned thirty and I just started. Let me get back into comics again because I, I got out of comics. I said there's no money in this. And I started up again with Mark Texera doing backgrounds with Mark Texera. So if you look at like Ghost Rider 6 and 7 and Punisher, I don't know, the it text issues, you'll see like a truck in the background that says Pamiati's Pickles or you, you'll see my name. My name is in there because <laughs> I, I, was, I was just getting started and uh, I was um, the, the I, I worked for Tex on a bunch of books and I said I'm, I'll only ink them if I can go up to Marvel and do them. So I'd go to Marvel after hours, five o'clock on, I would sit there in the bullpen, I ink pages, and I'd work on my own art, and I would drop off copies in all the editors' offices. And eventually, they started putting a face together with the copies, and like, oh, you're the guy that keeps dropping the copies off. You need to work on this. You need to work on that. And I would go work on it and do new samples. And then, like, um, I would be sitting there, and they'd say, oh, look, we have X Force One by Rob Liefeld. Can you? This looks like a butterfly humping a building. Can you make it an explosion? Because it's supposed to be an explosion. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did the bullpen and I do stuff. So they were giving me all these little odd jobs to do. And eventually they, they, they had a book that was running late. They said, hey, can you do this issue with the Punisher in like four days? And I'm like, yes, I can. And then I would not sleep for four days. Mountain Dew, diet. You know? um, until I got regular work. <laughs> And then, and then I started getting regular work, and and um, I, I uh, my mom got sick for a while, so um, her medical bills were a lot, so I took on more work. So I was working for my mom's medical bills for a couple of years, but um, but I got yeah, and and then I met Joe Casada, I met Joe in San Diego, and we did XO Zero, we did Ninjak, we did some books, then we did Event Comics, then we did Marvel Knights, then he did his own thing, and I went and I went into writing, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So yeah. I find it fascinating to hear creators talk about their very first work and, and how they got, you know, it, it, whether they're uncredited or credited, the stuff they worked on initially. Because um, and this is I was gonna I'm getting to the reason I'm asking this because I was gonna ask you if you think it's weird when there's people that collect that type of stuff, because that's the type of stuff that I collect. I love finding that early stuff. And is that something that creators do? Do they like other creators and find that stuff? I mean, Jim Lee's first story is what, like a Santa Claus comic? Yeah, Samurai Santa. Yeah, I got it. I got him to sign it once. So he was not. <laughs> um, I think for really, I think for really, the, like the real big name guys, it's kind of funny to hunt, fun to hunt down that stuff. I don't. Um, I don't consider myself one of those guys. I, I consider myself a, a working guy. Like I, I do my work. I don't get nominated for awards. I don't. I don't get any of that stuff. There's, I've never, you know, I'm like a grunt. I do my job. I have fun doing it. 
sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. I'm learning, you know, big learning curve. Um, but I think like for the bigger guys, like a Todd McFarlane or uh, Jim Lee or, uh, you know, uh, even Darwin Cooks and, you know, those are guys people hunt down Fazetta and, you know, they hunt down stuff. I don't think I'm the guy they hunt that stuff. They do it with Amanda, like they'll find old Barbie comics and she'll be like, oh, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I was going to ask. Yeah, I figured that <laughs> there's certain people that just look at their old work or it might make them remind them to, want, you know, back and like, oh, man, I hate looking at this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, people bring me the first books I've inked and I just look at them as like, you know, oh, look, I learned while I was getting paid, you know, because, boy, that sucks. But but I was learning. And, um, you know, even with my writing, it's like, you know, when, when we were doing Jonah Hex, I was I, I Justin and I were killing ourselves trying to be authentic. The language is correct. The uh you know, I went, I learned how to ride a horse and then I went out and stayed in the ranch and, you know, I, I did all my research and um, I, I bought these uh, books of Civil War letters to home. And so that's how I learned all of Hex's language, how he spoke was I based it on the letters that uh, soldiers wrote home, you know, during the Civil War. So the language would sound right. You know, Deadwood is like Shakespeare, but it's not accurate. Right. And then yeah. most Westerns, they just like whatever, how we speak, and they just add a draw to, you know, they, they speak a little Southern draw to everything. Um, but actually, the language is very eloquent uh, and, and very, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, to, to the area that people were born. It was very distinctive, sort of like my Brooklyn accent, as opposed to how you guys sound. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, me personally, I, I think I, I'm still learning. So I'm working very, very, very hard all the time with my research and my, uh, you know, trying to do the great job all the time. Because I just, I, I read other people's comics and I love them. And I'm like, okay, I'm not the guy you hire for the JLA. You know, I'm not that guy. Because you don't even want to give me like Batman for too long because I would make it all about, Bruce Wayne and prostitutes, you know, more real life type stuff. Well, I, I kind of like, cause I look at the characters and I'm like saying, okay, he fights the Joker all the time. It's exhausting to me. Honestly, I could care less about the Joker. I could care less about uh, who Joker's right-hand person is. Harley already did it. If there's a new one, who cares? You know, like it has no, it's nothing wrong with it. James, I'm sure, is going to, you know, Punchline's going to be a great character, whatever. But I feel like I've parked in that parking lot so many times, I have nothing new to bring to it. And when we, like, when we took on Harley, Amanda and I changed Harley because I, I, I said, I'm not going to do this girl that's an abusive relationship with the Joker, same thing over and over. Yeah. I got to get her out of there. Let me bring her into Brooklyn. Amanda, you know, Amanda said, why? No girl wears the same outfit, so I'm going to change her outfit every issue. I'm like, yeah, great, you know. And then she did one that looked like roller skating. I said, let's make a roller derby. Why not? You know, we just kept throwing stuff out there. Um, and part of that, yeah, and part of that is always because you live with the character. Like, you get into the character's head. What would they like? You know, Harley would like uh, uh, her friends would be, she'd be friends with burlesque people. Mm. If Harley was a real-life person. So it made sense in the book. We put a burlesque down in her building, you know, and, and it's like, we did like this stuff that made sense because not everything makes sense. I mean, Flash would be a hard character to write because all he does is run fast. 
you know? Yeah, you want somebody <laughs> that... Right, so they have to do these substitute things with time travel and and this kind of... Because, honestly, he runs fast. I would have a whole issue where he's stuck at the post office, you know? Uh, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> I would try to deconstruct them a little bit. Um, and I'll tell you, the flip side of that is uh, like a guy like Darwin Cook knew how to get right to the heart of the character. Boom. Yeah. That's the reason I love that character and Darwin nailed, would nail it like that. New Frontier is every reason why we love those characters in one book. Yeah. Um, so he had that. Like, and, and it's funny because Darwin and I you know, were very close friends. And I mean, he wrote, he drew a whole bunch of uh, Jonah Hexes for me, you know, and um, one of my all time favorite books. New there you go. Yeah, it's every page is wonderful. Yep. Every Absolutely page. gorgeous. Uh, honestly, it's a how to book for every DC writer and artist from now on. And sadly, they don't listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great. Um, you know, so. Part of me writing is knowing what works for me and what doesn't. That's why a Jonah Hex or a Harley Quinn, I can do all day long. Deadpool, I get it. I, I like humor. Humor is tough to write. So, uh, who, are like, some of the, who are some know. of the newer the newer guys that um, really kind of you are making you excited about what's coming? Is there anybody out there that I, is making I, you going? I like what Sean Murphy's doing? I like Sean stuff. Um, yeah. Sean's like to me. He's, it's he has another view of everything, right? He has his own view to it. I don't have a lot of people. I like some of the stuff Tom does, Tom Kang and Scott Snyder, and they all have like their voices, which I like. Um, mm -hmm. But I gotta be honest with you, I probably watch uh, more more uh, movies and TV than I do read comics. I read a lot of comics, but I. Um, there's no one particular writer that does it for me because I find when they jump to certain characters, it's like a, not a great fit yeah. or uh, he was great on this book, you know, um, but on that book, that's eh, not the right character or it feels forced to me. Like, and I, I already have, because I've been reading comics for a billion years. I already have the voices of the characters down. So when I read something, that's not the voice I know it's hard for me to get into it. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like it's tough with the pacing these days. Like, I don't want the story to be stretched out over six issues. Like, just tell me the story. Like, oh my I only God. got a limited amount of time to read. I'd like to get the whole story now, not just like, all right, I got the first 10 minutes of a, like, like the story. Now I got to wait six months to see the end. The deconstructing is a, I think it's a weakness because, um, you know, if I have a good idea, I can blow that up into 12 issues. Why? But it, it loses something. It loses, I don't know. I, I kind of liked writing Jonah Hex because it was done in one. Mm -hmm. And I write these little Wonder Woman things. I've been writing some of the digital first things where it's 16 page stories and it's like a ton of story. Um, but that, you know, that's also people pick on my stuff. They they say it's too much to read. I get that all the time. Like, you know, I, I read your books, but there's a lot to read. And I'm like, go figure. It's a comic book. I think uh, so That's an odd thing to complain about. I got too much value out of your work. Yeah, you're giving me too uh, much. Yeah, but you ever see like the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stuff? It's like, you know two panels on a page and Batman goes, <laughs> stay down. <laughs> like you wish, you know, yeah. I get it. It's a great voucher for that page. Look, I just, here's, here's two, three more, you know? Um, but again, it's familiarity. I've read all these stories before. Batman's a tough character for me. Cause I've read all the bad stories. Same thing with Superman. 
Uh, I love Superman, but we need to get him away from superpowered people because he's a guy that has powers. He can't he can't do anything to the weather. He can't change natural disasters. He can't he can't change people's minds. So yeah. his, his, Superman should be a, a character that's the most frustrated character in the DC universe because he's got all this power and nobody cares. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's a lot you can do with Superman, but everybody goes back to the same. You know, eventually we have Lex Luthor again, and and uh, yeah. we've all been reading comics for a while. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think that's why a lot of people that have been reading are just as frustrated as you are. I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I, I, I try new ideas. That's my Kickstarters are me trying out some weird ideas. That's a great thing to bring up because we see a lot of creators that are going to the Kickstarter now, um, yeah. as well as doing the main mainstream stuff. And the Kickstarter stuff just seems genius at this point for some of the stuff that's coming out of there. Um, what are your thoughts on on being part of that? Well, I, I think I was one of the first mainstream people to do a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on my 13th one right now with uh, Pop Kill. It's got like two more days left, I think. Um, I was going to say, that's going up on the site tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, I appreciate it. Um, I, you know, the thing with the thing with the Kickstarters is uh, I can do whatever I want on those books. I, sex, violence. I'm an adult. I want to see some TNA. I want crazy situations. I want If I want to blow a guy's head up, and then have a guy run and slip on the guts. I want. I don't want to have an editor tell me, you know, you really can't do that. You know, with yeah. people, we have an established character. If you haven't given the finger, people are going to pull the image off and make T-shirts, and you know, then we're never going to hear the end of it. I'm sick of that. I got. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. So, so um, the Kickstarter is of me experimenting. I try an idea, we throw it out there, and people like it. You know, I've gotten really good responses. I'm a real pro with the Kickstarter at this point. And I'm helping like 800 people right now with the Kickstarters. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people are forgetting that they have to finish the book or yeah. they have to deliver the book. Or uh, oh. My books are done. So when, you know, the digital is delivered the day the credit cards get charged, you get your digital book. Um, the paper one takes three or four weeks because I got to go to the printer. But um, I think it's a, it's just another platform, you know. Look at Sean Murphy put his book up to yesterday, yeah. and it's a, it's a hundred grand now, or some crazy number. I mean, geez, why would he do a DC comic after this? Exactly, that's exactly what I was wondering because you see a lot of these people going to Kickstarter, and they're they're fun, you know, Kickstarter or wherever else they're going, but their things are funded so incredibly fast that it would make. I, that's the first thing I wondered is like. You know, you, you see these people going to Kickstarter. Why do they need to worry about these big publishers yeah. anymore? Well, I think because the big publishers get your name out there. Yeah, they get your name. And they have the characters. And they have it's the like characters. block up the movie to do your indie, you know, the indie project you want to do later. I, I, don't, movie, I don't do the numbers. Like, when you have an artist-driven Kickstarter, those are the big numbers. Ethan Van Skyver, uh, you know, what we were just talking about, Sean. Anytime the artist does one, it's big numbers. Mine average around 50, 60 grand, and it's perfect. I'm yeah, happy. I'm happy. I get to do my books. I make them available digital from now on. You know, I'm looking over time to just do my own thing and me and Amanda do our own things. And eventually you go, oh, look, there's a new comic from Jimmy and Amanda. What the fuck is that one about? You know, <laughs> um, I, I think that we'll, we'll forever have the Batman, Superman, X-Men stuff. That'll always come out. And, that, and that's fine. But I think creators evolve. And yeah, then yeah. on to new things. And if the companies can't evolve with them, they have to go do their own thing. It's yes. very important for the company to evolve 
with the creators. And a lot of them don't know how to do that or they get rid of people that are really good at that. Like say a Dan Dio or somebody, you know, who looks at a guy and goes, go crazy. You know, I mean, Dan, Dan's responsible for Jonah Hex and for Harley Quinn. Cause he said, do whatever you want. Just, I know your voice, give it your voice. You and Amanda have fun on Harley. I trust you guys go crazy with it. You know, you don't get that very often. You get the, oh, okay, here's what we want you to write about this week. And you're like, yeah. oh, really? Do we have to go there again? Yeah, you need another Joker story. We need to put the Joker back in there. <laughs> you know, the, you need to go back to the Amazons. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, you know. Um, but, and, and look, it's it's all the big companies because they're, they're selling the uh, license for the characters. You know, I, I get it. There's nothing wrong with it, right? I think they should always have great Batman stories, always have great X-Men stories. What I'm saying is creators get have to evolve a little bit. That's all. You know? Yeah, and it's nice to be able to have a, an option to go um, to be excited about, you know, that evolution. Because Absolutely. that one thing that create being a creator of any kind, whether it's, you know, art, writing, mu music, uh, filming, is when you're creating, it's exciting and it's something new. It, it kind of feeds like fire, like oxygen and fire. Absolutely. So what do you guys do for a living? I actually just walked away from the space and defense industry in uh, February to get out of the the hamster wheel. And um, I'm doing the, the podcasting stuff and selling comic books and baseball cards and stuff like that. Just, just okay. because I... In, in all honesty, I'm funding what I enjoy doing on the creating level, which is podcasting and, and visuals right. by doing it, by selling, you know, things that I know I can sell without having to be in the hamster wheel. You okay. know? So, How about you, Pete? Uh, I work at Merrill Lynch, so I'm still in that Merrill, hamster okay. wheel. Yeah. That's the same job. It's a grind, but yeah, it pays the bills. It lets me buy this stuff. And great. How about you, Ben? What do you do? I do a lot of things. I have a CBD uh, isolate company. Um, I <laughs> of right? course, I, I, yeah, I get yeah. it. Uh, you know, and I've done eBay since two thousand, and I own Comic Book Invest. That's great. That's great. And Mike, what do you do for a living? Did Mike hear me? He will. He's uh, uh, he's I'm an and, uh, and a musician. Delay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a delay. Yeah. yeah. What do you do for a living? You're a musician. You're a musician. Yeah, he's a musician. Well, a bunch of artists here. Yeah, musician and uh, and an and an English teacher. Oh, okay. As well. That's good. Do you ever sing to your students? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, well, only if they make me. <laughs> I just say go. I just say go to. I just say go to Spotify and listen there. <laughs> Hey guys, I, I have to actually go. We appreciate that. We were actually, I was just going to say that we're getting on two hours here and uh, we just wanted to say, you know, thank you for doing this, man. This is, uh, this is awesome. Great hang yeah. out with you guys. This was like, Good times. All you need is some beer and CBD oil and, you know, yeah, a, I ran out of beer. Usually is. Some investment ideas and then some space secrets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, right, thank you, man. You're the best. I right, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. Brooklyn. <laughs> that Jeez, was awesome. That, awesome. that was like fantastic. I, I'm a big, 
huge. Thanks for staying on that long, man. That was crazy. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, I can't say enough. I mean, for for creators to come on and do stuff like that uh, is, is amazing because we um, enjoy seeing stuff like that, seeing creators, you know, kind yeah. of like behind the scenes, you know, like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and he's so humble too. Like, yeah. like oh, why do want my first? I'm like, I wanted to interject to be like, dude, when I was younger, like, I only knew two anchors. I knew Scott yes. William and I knew you. Yes. <laughs> well, I was gonna bring up some. Of the, <laughs> I was gonna weird out on him and bring yeah. up some of the older stuff that I have, you know, like early yeah. work and stuff. But uh, I, I figured. Yeah, Solar. Solar and shit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh man, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Because that's when, I mean, that's all of us, right? That's when we were kids. Yeah. That was, yeah. that's what, because I, I, I mean, it was, yeah. And circling back, we got to thank, uh, I I don't know how to get into live comments to talk to people, but uh, thanks to everyone who showed up in the chat tonight. And obviously a huge thanks to Nico for setting all this up. Yes. This is however many nights, wow. weekends in a row. Yeah, I usually like to look at the comments, but I'm sorry, I was fixated on on what Jimmy was talking about, so I wasn't able. Jimmy was fixated. That was that was fantastic. Yeah, that was definitely one of the. I wanted to just talk about New York the whole time. (laughs) I was about to geek. I wanted to geek out about Brooklyn. I'm like, oh my god, somebody finally gets me. It's about time. He's telling stories. I'm like, yeah, I remember my dad and my uncles telling those stories, and I like just sit there listening. Like, wait, are you from New York? No, my dad is though. My dad's from Brooklyn. Okay. I was favorite Brooklyn for me. The look on his face when he was talking about his comics. Yes. But that was that true fucking genuine. Yeah. You know, like, oh, man. I was like, he likes comics. And I know it sounds stupid, but you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Genuine look of like, this is my, like, this is my Superman 26 or whatever ridiculous golden age he had going on. The second that he said, "I uh, the reason I grade them is because they're falling apart, and I don't want them to continue to fall apart." I was like, "Yeah, you're you're one of us, man. Like, yeah. like you're in a good <laughs> community right now. Like, until he broke out the high grade silver, yes, he yeah. broke out with nine two ten centers. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get his well, name wrong. You know what though? A writer like that to invest back into his own his own industry is amazing. I mean, that's. That's well, amazing. a lot of it, he said, too, was he picked up um, when he was a kid, kid, like yeah, paying more to not have the barber bundle him up in a thing to keep him yeah. in nice condition. Like, yeah. There's not a, lot, not a lot of people out there that were doing that back then. And the ones that were, those some of those are some of the books that they pass around in these, you know, circles. It's so. really cool to hear someone that's not one of us nerding out about it, yeah. but to yeah. have someone... That we nerd out about. Yeah. Well, it's also Nerding interesting. With us. It's also interesting Both to hear him talk about Amanda and like because we don't think about that. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. married to a comic book creator too. Yeah, Fuck, man, these guys uh, they 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 live and breathe it all yeah. the time. I was going to ask him if that was her setup because he, was, he had one of those uh what is it Wacom like the digital tablet the drawing tablets. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I gotta imagine that was her. Oh. You mean next to the original fucking Batman well, painting from? I know. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. I was looking at that the whole time. Going, is anyone going to show that? Is anyone going to talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> right I, I'm going to buy the regular book because I don't think I have it in box. I don't have a lot of Legends of the Dark Knight anymore. No. 
And stuff like that makes you, it's an interesting point on OA. It makes you appreciate, like, I'm, Mm -hmm. I must have passed that before and just been like, whatever. But seeing the art now, I'm like, oh, well, shit, I need that book. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. that's I, I love just being having him available and people ask questions. So in the future, guys, if you guys are watching this live, you're more than welcome to ask questions in the live chat and we will do our best to ask him those the, or the creators or whoever, whatever, whoever we're interviewing in these, you know, once once Nico's done doing his interview and if we have uh, the ability to have people jump on and kind of have like a shoot the shit session. If you guys have questions, definitely ask them and we will do our best to uh, to answer or answer them, have them answer them for you. Man, crazy. Yeah, Anything yeah. else that uh, you guys can think of? No. No, we're live. We're, of we're course, live. live. Yeah, we're Just still thanks live. Again, thanks again to Jimmy. Thanks yeah. to Nico. Thanks yeah. to you guys. Hell yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks watching. to everyone in the chat. Yep, for sure. All right, guys, uh, we're going to call it a night. Thank you. We will see you next time.